It's time. It's time for go to bed. That's right. It's showtime. Time for go to bed. Snuggle down with your favorite cuddly blanket. We'll tell you a story. We've got some plans for you here. Some good stories. Some story stories. It's me, the Suze. And me. I also have my friend, Kenny Pick, of it, being from Cleveland. That's right. Also, uh, we're married. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I've seen him naked. Jealous. She's lying. I'm a never nude. I'm a never nude. Um, <clears throat> yeah. This music makes me want to say things. And then pause. And listen. Well. Not to the music. But just to my own heartbeat. Ooh, profound. That's right. That's what I'm here for. To be profound. Well, we have some fun fun stuff that I picked out for us tonight. Yes! Of course, the continuation of Ozma of Oz. Yes! Our next two chapters, I believe, are four and five. Which are good, because it's a 21-chapter book, so... We're gonna do two at a time until it's exhausted. Yep, and then we might go back to the next book in the series, depending on how you respond. Do you like Oz? Do people like us? I don't know. Let's I think find so. Out. And yeah, so tonight, Ozma of Oz, chapters four and five. And also, uh, we're going to try something out. I found a cereal that I want to see if everybody enjoys that's a 15 minute long one. And I think it f- kind of fits in with co- a lot of the things that we enjoy. I will reveal that later. And our main feature for the evening uh, in the second half of the show will be Wuthering Heights, the classic, the legendary. Uh, I think it was written in 1848. Yeah, and I, I'm a big fan of it. Um, I've read it. I've written papers on it. Um, 1847. And I, yeah. I, I, Emily Bronte? Yeah, um, under a pseudonym, uh, Ellis Bell. Oh, yeah. She pretended she had to pretend so. she was a man. Sucks to get published. Um, but yeah, I just uh, I love this story, and it's about the Scottish Moors, right? I mean, it's about the Moors. Um, about, to my remembrance, it's been a while. Um. Well, it's, Yorkshire is where it takes place. Mm. But, yeah, well, not the moors, but it's a moor land. I mean, there are moors there, you know, like actual, but they're not, moors were, oh, you're saying in the Scottish moors. No, they're yes, English Yes, in the Scottish moors. moors. Not a people, but a place. Yeah. Where Kathy runs about yeah. with Heathcliff. The rocky, rocky land. Well, we'll find out. But um, anyway, it's been years years since I wrote papers or did anything like that. But also, um, it's a wonderful story. It's a wonderful song by Kate Bush, Wuthering Heights. Um, 
But yeah, uh, first Oz. We're going to do a chapter of Oz first. Last we knew, Dorothy was uh, trapped by the Wheelers. Isn't that correct? To, to um, recap last week's? Yeah, I believe they were trapped by the Wheelers. Um, and um, the next chapter, I think, is uh, called TikTok, the mechanical... Yep. Man? Soldier? Yep. Here he comes. All right. Let's check and in. And I love him. I love him. More. He's a good dude. He is. He's. I love him more than the Tin Woodsman. Tin Woodsman's okay. I'm not saying he's not good, but I, I just... There's something about this copper guy. I love him. All right. Let's see. Chapter yep. 4 of Ozma of Oz. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ozma of Oz by L. Frank Baum. Chapter 4 TikTok The Machine Man. After an hour or so, most of the band of wheelers rolled back into the forest, leaving only three of their number to guard the hill. These curled themselves up like big dogs and pretended to go to sleep on the sands, but neither Dorothy nor Bellina were fooled by this trick, so they remained in security among the rocks and paid no attention to their cunning enemies. Finally, the hen fluttering over the mound exclaimed, Why, here's a bath! So Dorothy at once clambered to where Bellina sat, and there, sure enough, was a smooth path cut between the rocks. It seemed to wind around the mound from top to bottom like a corkscrew, twisting here and there between the rough boulders, but always remaining level and easy to walk upon. Indeed, Dorothy wondered at first why the wheelers did not roll up this path, but when she followed it to the foot of the mound, she found that several big pieces of rock had been placed directly across the end of the way, thus preventing anyone outside from seeing it, and also preventing the wheelers from using it to climb up the mound. Then Dorothy walked back up the path and followed it until she came to the very top of the hill, where a solitary round rock stood that was bigger than any of the others surrounding it. The path came to an end just beside this great rock, and for a moment it puzzled the girl to know why the path had been made at all. But the hen, who had been gravely following her around and was now perched upon a point of rock behind Dorothy, suddenly remarked, It looks something like a door, doesn't it? What looks like a door? inquired the child. Why, that crack in the rock just facing you, replied Bellina, whose little round eyes were very sharp and seemed to see everything. It runs up one side and down the other and across the top and the bottom. What does? Why, the crack! So I think it must be a door of rock, although I do not see any hinges. Oh, yes, said Dorothy, now observing for the first time the crack in the rock. And isn't this a keyhole, Bellina? Pointing to a round, deep hole at one side of the door. Of course. If we only had the key now, we could unlock it and see what is there, replied the yellow hen. Maybe it's a treasure chamber full of diamonds and rubies or heaps of shining gold or... That reminds me, said Dorothy, of the golden key I picked up on the shore. Do you think it would fit this keyhole, Bellina? Try it and see 
suggested the hen. So Dorothy searched in the pocket of her dress and found the golden key. And when she had put it into the hole of the rock and turned it, a sudden sharp snap was heard. Then, with a solemn creak that made the shivers run down the child's back, the face of the rock fell outward like a door on hinges and revealed a small dark chamber just inside. Good gracious! cried Dorothy, shrinking back as far as the narrow path would let her. For standing within the narrow chamber of rock was the form of a man, or at least it seemed like a man, in the dim light. He was only about as tall as Dorothy herself, and his body was round as a ball and made out of burnished copper. Also his head and limbs were copper, and these were jointed or hinged to his body in a peculiar way, with metal caps over the joints like the armor worn by knights in days of old. He stood perfectly still, and where the light struck upon his form it glittered as if made of pure gold. Don't be frightened, called Bellina from her perch. It isn't alive. I see it isn't, replied the girl, drawing a long breath. It is only made of copper, like the old kettle in the barnyard at home, continued the hen, turning her head first to one side and then to the other, so that both her little round eyes could examine the object. Once, said Dorothy, I knew a man made out of tin, who was a woodman named Nick Chopper. But he was as alive as we are, cause he was born a real man, and got his tin body a little at a time, first a leg, and then a finger, and then an ear, for the reason that he had so many accidents with his axe, and cut himself up in a very careless manner. Ow!、Oh. said the hen with a sniff, as if she did not believe the story. But this copper man, continued Dorothy, looking at it with big eyes, is not alive at all. And I wonder what it was made for, and why it was locked up in this queer place. That is a mystery, remarked the hen, twisting her head to arrange her wing feathers with her bill. Dorothy stepped inside the little room to get a back view of the copper man, and in this way discovered a printed card that hung between his shoulders, it being suspended from a small copper peg at the back of his neck. She unfastened this card and returned to the path where the light was better and sat herself down upon a slab of rock to read the printing. What does it say? asked the hen curiously. Dorothy read the card aloud, spelling out the big words with some difficulty. And this is what she read Smith and Tinker's patent double action, extra responsive, thought creating, perfect talking mechanical man. Fitted with our special clockwork attachment. Thinks, speaks, acts, and does everything but live. Manufactured only at our works at Evna, land of Ev. All infringements will be promptly prosecuted according to law. How queer! said the yellow hen. Do you think that is all true, my dear? I don't know, answered Dorothy, who had more to read. Listen to this, Bellina. Directions for using, for thinking, wind the clockwork man under his left arm, marked number one. For speaking, wind the clockwork man under his right arm, marked number two. For walking and action, wind clockwork in the middle of his back, marked number three. NB. This mechanism is guaranteed to work perfectly for a thousand years. Well, I declare, 
gasped the yellow hen in amazement. If the copper man can do half of these things, he is a very wonderful machine. But I suppose it is all humbug like so many other patented articles. We might wind him up, suggested Dorothy, and see what he'll do. Where is the key to the clockwork? asked Belina. Hanging on the peg where I found the card. Then, said the hen, let us try him and find out if he will go. He is warranted for a thousand years, it seems, but we do not know how long he has been standing inside this rock. Dorothy had already taken the clock key from the peg. Which shall I wind up first? she asked, looking again at the directions on the card. Number one, I should think, returned Bellina. That makes him think, doesn't it? Yes, said Dorothy, and wound up number one under the left arm. It doesn't seem any different, remarked the hen critically. Why, of course not. He is only thinking now, said Dorothy. I wonder what he is thinking about. I'll wind up his talk, and then perhaps he can tell us, said the girl. So she wound up number two, and immediately the clockwork man said, without moving any part of his body except his lips, Good morning, little girl. Good morning, Mrs. Hen. The words sounded a little hoarse and creaky, and they were uttered all in the same tone without any change of expression whatever. But both Dorothy and Bellina understood them perfectly. Good morning, sir. They answered politely. Thank you for rescuing me, continued the machine in the same monotonous voice, which seemed to be working by a bellows inside of him, like the little toy lambs and cats the children squeeze so they will make a noise. Don't mention it, answered Dorothy, and then being very curious, she asked, How did you come to be locked up in this place? It is a long story, replied the copper man. But I will tell it to you briefly. I was purchased from Smith and Tinker, my manufacturers, by a cruel king of Ev, named Evaldo, who used to beat all his servants until they died. However, he was not able to kill me, because I was not alive, and one must first live in order to die. So that all his beating did me no harm and merely kept my copper body well polished. This cruel king had a lovely wife and ten beautiful children, five boys and five girls, but in a fit of anger he sold them all to the gnome king, who by means of his magic arts changed them all into other forms and put them in his underground palace to ornament the rooms. Afterward the king of Ev regretted his wicked action, and tried to get his wife and children away from the gnome king, but without avail. So in despair he locked me up in this rock, threw the key into the ocean, and then jumped in after it and was drowned. "'How very dreadful!' exclaimed Dorothy. "'It is indeed,' said the machine." When I found myself imprisoned, I shouted for help until my voice ran down, and then I walked back and forth in this little room until my action ran down, and then I stood still and thought until my thoughts ran down. After that I remember nothing until you wound me up again. 
"'It's a very wonderful story,' said Dorothy, "'and proves that the land of Ev is really a fairyland as I thought it was.' "'Of course it is,' answered the copper man. "'I do not suppose such a perfect machine as I am could be made in any place but a fairyland.' "'I've never seen one in Kansas,' said Dorothy. "'But where did you get the key to unlock this door?' asked the clockwork voice. "'I found it on the shore where it was probably washed up by the waves,' she answered. "'And now, sir, if you don't mind, I'll wind up your action.' "'That will please me very much,' said the machine. So she wound up number three, and at once the copper man, in a somewhat stiff and jerky fashion, walked out of the rocky cavern, took off his copper hat, and bowed politely, and then kneeled before Dorothy. He said, "'From this time forth I am your obedient servant. Whatever you command, that I will do willingly, if you keep me wound up.' "'What is your name?' she asked. "Tick tock he replied. "'My former master gave me that name.' because my clockwork always ticks when it is wound up. "'I can hear it now,' said the yellow hen. "'So can I,' said Dorothy. And then she added with some anxiety, "'You don't strike, do you?' "'No,' answered Tick-Tock. "'And there is no alarm connected with my machinery. I can tell the time, though, by speaking, and as I never sleep—' I can waken you at any hour you wish to get up in the morning. That's nice, said the little girl. Only I never wish to get up in the morning. You can sleep until I lay my egg, said the yellow hen. Then when I cackle, Tick-Tock will know it is time to waken you. Do you lay your egg very early? asked Dorothy. About eight o'clock, said Bellina. And everybody ought to be up by that time, I'm sure. End chapter 4、Hello. End chapter 4. There, There we go. go. We're I love TikTok.、Along. Yeah, and you know, this is,、uh, this is interesting too because、uh, it's really becoming clear. Again, I know I said it last show, but it's becoming clear what was lifted from this book and the previous book,、um, Marvelous Land of Oz,、uh, for、uh, Return to Oz. Yeah,、so. they threw all kinds of things in there. But this is a huge part of the beginning of that movie, you know.、Um, but.、Uh, And obviously, well, it was the Gump. The Gump was part of, and Jack Pumpkinhead were part of the prior book, not this one, right? Mm hmm. So, or does Jack Pumpkinhead show up in this? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I mean, in the book, I'm not sure, but、yeah. I think he does. I think there's a big, um, I think she's on her,、uh, Dorothy's back, and she's on the edge of Oz. She's、yeah. just, you know, and she's going to get there. But I think she,、yeah. I know she meets Ozma for、mm-hmm. sure. But, well,、uh, it's called Ozma of Oz, so. Ozma of Oz. One would so, assume. Yeah. yeah. But, and there's a picture of them、yeah. together from the. But yeah,、cover. We're, we're talking about all kinds of different robots now and,、uh, in the chat room, And, which is interesting.、Yeah. I know robots are one of your big favorite topics, but 
He predates all these robots. He's a clockwork man. Yeah. He's he kind needs of, to be wound up. Yeah. He's, he's almost, you know, borderline, once again, a golem. Um, yeah. Because he's not, you know... A lot of things in Oz are fairy creatures. Yeah. So you just take what you have, and then you add magic. But, so, you know, he's a clockwork. He's before AI. He's before robots. He's before all these things. He's before the the inv- invention of discrete math and... and uh, on and off switches, O's and ones, whatever you call that, uh, that make machines, real machines, and he's a clockwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he's, he's not... fairy, so he's alive. But you know, uh, yeah. he's not artificial intelligence. He's he's a magical creature uh, that yeah. happens to be made out of metal and gears and needs yeah to be wound up Whereas to function. The Tin Man is an actual person that was replaced piece by piece by tin. He's like a magical yeah. cyborg. Yeah. Yeah. Different different category categories, yeah, but yeah. you know, what I say is you th- you what you've always told me is throw a sheet over a Dalek, tip it over. Yeah. Yeah, that's the yeah. you know, just about any yeah. robot, throw a sheet over it, knock it over until they yep. get real super advanced like terminators, then that's what you do. You got it. That's the plan when the when they come for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, should I tell should I tell everybody what I did to you before the show? Um, <laughs> before we get back to can, Oz, you can just do it again. What are you doing on my server? What? What are you doing? The... What are you doing on my server? This is mine. This is my server on Discord. What are you doing here? I'm on the recording studio. For Radio for Humans, this is Radio for Humans. I think somebody's hijacked my channel. This isn't... I. This is I my channel. Get get off of my channel, server. This is the channel I use all the time. This is the voice channel. No, it's not. I don't know what you're doing. What the hell is going on here? Um, I, I We're being berated. This is angry Kristen Wiig. You need to get off my channel right now. Oh, wow, you're Kristen Wig? Yeah, and I'm very angry, and you losers better get right the heck out of here because I'm a really famous Hollywood celebrity. You've probably seen me in lots of super funny movies and Saturday Night Live and stuff. And you I need have! To, I'm yeah, a big you fan to, of you. You need to get off Kristen my Wig. You need to get off my server right now. Well, this is our voice channel on Discord called Radio for Humans. And uh, I'm yeah, happy okay, to whatever here, kind of crap Kristen. name that is. That sounds stupid. You seem like a nice lady. No, well, uh, to my friends, I am very nice. But uh, strangers who hijack my Discord, I'm not very friendly. Well, I do support you being a comedian and a woman. Because okay, sure. I think All right. yeah, women great, are very great, funny. Great. Thanks for the pandering there, lady. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what happened is, is I... That I was, was a little mean. I was messing. I was messing around with the voice modulation, and yeah, I, I flipped on the robot setting, and I pitched yeah. it up. And, and so basically, this is my voice. But then we bring it down, and then this is actually my voice, and take off yeah, the he, robot, he and then this is actually my yeah. voice. But then we pitch it right back up, and do that, and put the robot on it, and I sound like a very terse lady. Yeah, I thought he did. I thought you did yeah. sound like a terse lady. I sure do, and you better you better get used to it. 
Yeah. Uh, and it, we just okay. thought it sounded like Kristen Wiig <laughs> if, if, if I talked fast. So <laughs> anyway, so so too. I tricked her for, for a couple minutes. She was like, oh, my God, who is this? <laughs> yeah, I was looking at the thing like, who is this icon? It's No, I'm in the right place. I'm in the recording studio. No, you're not. Get the hell out of here. This is mine. Okay, mean Kristen Wiig. <laughs> so okay. anyway. Uh, all right, so that that's that's just a little bit of fun we have. We do like to have fun, but uh, we should get back to our uh, uh, fifth chapter. Uh, no, that was the that was chapter four. Yeah, so chapter five okay. is coming up now. So all right, uh, let's go. Let's do it. All right, here we go. What's it called again? Uh, he'll, he'll say the chapter at the beginning. I, I they didn't label them on this recording, uh, so I can see them as I load the clips in. So. Here we go. Chapter 4 of Ozma of Oz. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ozma of Oz by L. Frank Baum. Chapter 4 TikTok The Machine Man. After an hour or so, most of the band of wheelers rolled back into the forest, leaving only three of their number to guard the hill. I loaded in the wrong one. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Yeah, well, hang it on. Took me a second. To figure one it out. second. Uh, I'll talk, talk, talk. Well, let me I'll just see. I'll talk about Tic Tac and how much I like him. I don't know why I like him. Right, I, I'm going to remember. The right one. I, know I got that. the right one. Here it is. Chapter 5. Of Ozma of Oz. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ozma of Oz by L. Frank Baum. Chapter 5 Dorothy Opens the Dinner Pail. Now, TikTok said Dorothy. The first thing to be done is to find a way for us to escape from these rocks. The wheelers are down below, you know, and threaten to kill us. There is no reason to be afraid of the wheelers, said Tick-Tock, the words coming more slowly than before. Why not? she asked. Because they are a guard. He gave a sort of gurgle and stopped short, waving his hands frantically until suddenly he became motionless, with one arm in the air and the other held stiffly before him with all the copper fingers of the hand spread out like a fan. Dear me, said Dorothy in a frightened tone, what can the matter be? He's run down, I suppose, said the hen calmly. You couldn't have wound him up very tight. I didn't know how much to wind him, replied the girl. But I'll try to do better next time. She ran around the copper man to take the key from the peg at the back of his neck, but it was not there. It's gone, cried Dorothy in dismay. What's gone? asked Billina. The key! It probably fell off when he made that low bow to you, returned the hen. Look around and see if you cannot find it again. 
Dorothy looked, and the hen helped her, and by and by the girl discovered the clock key which had fallen into a crack of the rock. At once she wound up Tick-Tock's voice, taking care to give the key as many turns as it would go around. She found this quite a task, as you may imagine, if you have ever tried to wind a clock. But the machine man's first words were to assure Dorothy that he would now run for at least twenty-four hours. "'You did not wind me much at first, he said calmly. "'And I told you that long story about King Evaldo, so it is no wonder that I ran down.' She next rewound the action clockwork, and then Bellina advised her to carry the key to Tick-Tock in her pocket, so it would not get lost again. "'And now,' said Dorothy, when all this was accomplished, "'tell me what you were going to say about the wheelers.' "'Why, they are nothing to be frightened at,' said the machine. "'They try to make folks believe that they are very terrible, "'but as a matter of fact, the wheelers are harmless enough "'to any one that dares to fight them. "'They might try to hurt a little girl like you, perhaps, "'because they are very mischievous. "'But if I had a club they would run away as soon as they saw me.' "'Haven't you a club?' asked Dorothy. "'No,' said Tick-Tock. "'And you won't find such a thing among these rocks, either,' declared the yellow hen. "'Then what shall we do?' asked the girl. "'Wind up my think-works tightly, and I will try to think of some other plan,' said Tick-Tock. So Dorothy rewound his thought-machinery, and while he was thinking, she decided to eat her dinner. Bellina was already pecking away at the cracks in the rocks to find something to eat, so Dorothy sat down and opened her tin dinner-pail. In the cover she found a small tank that was full of very nice lemonade. It was covered by a cup which might also, when removed, be used to drink the lemonade from. Within the pail were three slices of turkey, two slices of cold tongue, some lobster salad, four slices of bread and butter, a small custard pie, an orange, and nine large strawberries, and some nuts and raisins. Singularly enough, the nuts in this dinner pail grew already cracked, so that Dorothy had no trouble in picking out their meats to eat. She spread the feast upon the rock beside her and began her dinner, first offering some of it to Tick-Tock, who declined because, as he said, he was merely a machine. Afterward, she offered to share with Bellina, but the hen murmured something about dead things, and said she preferred her bugs and ants. "'Do the lunch-box trees and the dinner-pail trees belong to the wheelers?' the child asked Tick-Tock, while engaged in eating her meal. "'Of course not,' he answered. "'They belong to the royal family of Ev. Only, of course, there is no royal family just now.' because King Evaldo jumped into the sea, and his wife and ten children have been transformed by the Gnome King. So there is no one to rule the land of Ev that I can think of. Perhaps it is for this reason that the wheelers claim the trees for their own, and pick the luncheons and dinners to eat themselves. But they belong to the king, and you will find the royal E stamped upon the bottom of every dinner pail. Dorothy turned the pail over and at once discovered the royal mark upon it as Tick-Tock had said. 
Are the Wheelers the only folks living in the land of Ev? inquired the girl. No, they only inhabit a small portion of it just back of the woods, replied the machine. But they have always been mischievous and impertinent, and my old master, King Evaldo, used to carry a whip with him when he walked out to keep the creatures in order. When I was first made, the wheelers tried to run over me and butt me with their heads, but they soon found I was built of too solid a material for them to injure. You seem very durable, said Dorothy. Who made you? The firm of Smith and Tinker, in the town of Evna, where the royal palace stands, answered Tick-Tock. Did they make many of you? asked the child. No, I am the only automatic mechanical man they ever completed, he replied. They were very wonderful inventors, were my makers, and quite artistic in all they did. I am sure of that, said Dorothy. Do they live in the town of Evna now? They are both gone, replied the machine. Mr. Smith was an artist, as well as an inventor and he painted a picture of a river which was so natural that, as he was reaching across it to paint some flowers on the opposite bank, he fell into the water and was drowned. "'Oh, I'm sorry for that,' declared the little girl. "'Mr. Tinker,' continued Tick-Tock, "'made a ladder so tall that he could rest the end of it against the moon, while he stood on the highest rung and picked the little stars to set in the points of the king's crown. But when he got to the moon, Mr. Tinker found it such a lovely place that he decided to live there, so he pulled up the ladder after him, and we have never seen him since. "'He must have been a great loss to this country,' said Dorothy, who was by this time eating her custard pie. "'He was,' acknowledged Tick-Tock. Also he is a great loss to me, for if I should get out of order I do not know of any one able to repair me, because I am so complicated. You have no idea how full of machinery I am. I can imagine it, said Dorothy readily. And now, continued the machine, I must stop talking and begin thinking again of a way to escape from this rock. So he turned halfway around in order to think without being disturbed. The best thinker I ever knew, said Dorothy to the yellow hen, was a scarecrow. Nonsense, snapped Belina. It is true, declared Dorothy. I met him in the land of Oz, and he traveled with me to the city of the great Wizard of Oz, so as to get some brains, for his head was only stuffed with straw. But it seemed to me that he thought just as well before he got his brains as he did afterward. Do you expect me to believe all that rubbish about the land of Oz? inquired Bellina, who seemed a little cross, perhaps because bugs were scarce. What rubbish? asked the child, who was now finishing her nuts and raisins. Why, your impossible stories about animals that can talk, and a tin woodman who is alive, and a scarecrow who can think. They are all there, said Dorothy for I have seen them. I don't believe it, cried the hen with a toss of her head. 
That's cause you're so ignorant, replied the girl who was a little offended at her friend Bellina's speech. In the land of Oz, remarked Tick-Tock, turning toward them, anything is possible, for it is a wonderful fairy country. There, Bellina, what did I say? cried Dorothy, and then she turned to the machine and asked in an eager tone, Do you know the land of Oz, Tick-Tock? No, but I have heard about it, said the copper man, for it is only separated from this land of Ev by a broad desert. Dorothy clapped her hands together delightedly. I'm glad of that, she exclaimed. It makes me quite happy to be so near my old friends. The scarecrow I told you of, Bellina, is the king of the land of Oz. Pardon me, he is not the king now, said Tick-Tock. He was when I left there, declared Dorothy. I know, said Tick-Tock. But there was a revolution in the land of Oz, and the scarecrow was deposed by a soldier woman named General Ginger, and then Ginger was deposed by a little girl named Ozma, who was the rightful heir to the throne and now rules the land under the title of Ozma of Oz. That is news to me, said Dorothy thoughtfully. But I suppose lots of things have happened since I left the land of Oz. I wonder what has become of the scarecrow and of the tin woodman and the cowardly lion. And I wonder who this girl Ozma is, for I've never heard of her before. But Tick-Tock did not reply to this. He had turned around again to resume his thinking. Dorothy packed the rest of the food back into the pail, so as not to be wasteful of good things, and the yellow hen forgot her dignity far enough to pick up all of the scattered crumbs which she ate rather greedily, although she had so lately pretended to despise the things that Dorothy preferred as food. By this time Tick-Tock approached them with his stiff bow. Be kind enough to follow me, he said, and I will lead you away from here to the town of Evna, where you will be more comfortable, and also I will protect you from the wheelers. All right, answered Dorothy promptly. I'm ready. End chapter 5 and There's our two installments for the week. There so, you yeah. go. TikTok yeah. uh, has a, a, a some kind of feed, a CNN feed, like you said, or something. Yeah, he knows what's going on. I mean, it seems like he was ran out of nobody wound him, and he's been out of commission for a while. But no, he knows everything that's going on. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, you know, uh, a suspension of disbelief, I suppose. Yeah, I love. But him. you know, it, I want it, one. I want one. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Bomb is good at, you know, kind of getting, you know, again, recapping prior books and stuff like that. So, you know, it's 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 children's literature. So, uh, you know, they're going to do that to make sure, you know, and, and hey, what if somebody hadn't read the other books and then be like, oh, I'd like to learn about that. Or is that? From? Yeah. So you can go to our past podcasts where we uh, have read to you and played the recordings that read to you. All of the marvelous land of Oz. Yeah. So check out Fairy Lights for Fairy Nights for the marvelous land of Oz. And then uh, check out Time for Go to Bed for the new book, Ozma of Oz, which we've started on. Yeah. We just finished Chapter 5. So 
There we go. Clinster says MSOBC is uh, where uh, he gets his news. <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget, tomorrow we're going to have a, a great show for uh, It Came From Cleveland. Yeah, we're doing a, we're doing a, a we're going to focus mostly on Bill, the career of the late, great Bill Paxton, who passed away four years ago, tragically, oh. in a similar, actually, in a similar fashion as, as to how my dad died. Uh, oh, wow. Post, uh, you know, surgery, although dad's wasn't heart surgery, but it was related to his heart. Yeah. So, but, um, but yeah, so uh, Bill Paxton, we're going to be talking a lot about that. Um, Michelle is a huge fan of the lost or kind of forgotten horror classic Near Dark. Uh, we're going to be talking about that. And of course, he was in Aliens. He was also in Predator 2. Um, and of course, Weird Science. I uh, loved him myself in um, Big Love. I uh, watched mm-hmm. that entire series. What a well done, one of, one of HBO's finer series. Some really creepy, weird stuff in there, too. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll just touch on a lot of different uh, films that he did. And uh, have fun doing it, you know, paying a little bit of a tribute to him because his birthday uh, it was this week. And um, just struck a chord with us. We just kind of, you know, uh, I was talking to Michelle and Miles last night and we we're, we were like, yeah, let's uh, let's do Bill Paxton. And um, yeah, Bill, Bill Paxton to me, like the <laughs> character Chad was so convincing in what movie was that? Um, Weird Science? Yeah, yeah Chet. He was Chet. And- Chet, Chet, the brother, and then he yeah. was just so convincing, also as uh, the father in Big Love. Yeah. Um. So I, I, to me, those are just two different, very different characters, and that he pulled off both of those and made me mm-hmm. go, "He is that guy." Well, uh, and Clinster points out you know? something awesome. He was the only actor killed by a predator, an alien, and a Terminator. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's you... that's pretty cool. Uh, I'll have to yeah. make a note of that. So yeah, that's, that's super. So, but <laughs> anyway, uh, not to get too far off topic here. Oh yeah. Um, uh, I, I was gonna, uh, but yeah. Did you want to offer any other thoughts on uh, uh, the other chapter we just listened to? Um, no, just that Foxfire also wants her own TikTok robot, Heck which yeah. I do. I mean, I don't think it's too much to ask for a robot for my. Go birthday. find one of those round grills and make one out of those. Out of one of those. Oh yeah. Yeah. Too bad I got rid of her yeah. old Weber. It was too. It was. It was too saucer shaped though. Yeah, um, I'm just. I'm just. Uh, for some reason, that's my favorite robot character. But uh, all the other AIs are too snappy and mean and and jealous and. Emotional. What are you talking about? What are you talking about, lady? Yeah, I'm talking about you. What? I'm no, about AI no, you're not. You're nasty. not. You, you just take my name off your lips right now, lady. You you sound a little nasty. <laughs> nasty. So anyway, something I wanted to try out uh, for everybody uh, tonight is uh, and see if everybody likes it. This is a serial um, from uh, the episode one from 1937 mm-hmm. called Jerry of the Circus. <laughs> okay, let's go. It's a little kid named Jerry who who uh apparently his father passes away and he and his dog go join the circus. So let's take a listen to chapter cool. one. Nice. Jerry of the circus. 
now for Jerry of the Circus. Turn up close to the platform. That's right. Now make room for the children there, mister. Come right in, little girl. That's right. And today we are offering to you lucky citizens of this fair city a genuine treat. The choicest bit of entertainment that it has ever been your good fortune to witness. And here, folks, on my left, you see the greatest collection of freaks and monstrosities ever gathered under one piece of canvas. And now allow me to present Tiny Irene. Come up here, Irene. <laughs> there she is, folks. 365 pounds of human flesh by the small admission fee of 25 cents would hardly buy the dessert for one of Irene's meals. <laughs> And now, ladies and gentlemen, in direct contrast, let me introduce Major Mike, the smallest midget in the world today. The Major makes Tom Thumb look like a giant. <laughs> Hello there, Mr. Randall. Hello, Haley. Yes, sir, I repeat, the smallest human in the world today. Am I right, Mr. Randall? You're right, Mr. Haley. There you are, folks, the owner of Randall's Greater Circus, folks, is for my seemingly unbelievable... Hello, Jim. Uh, hello, Mr. Randall. How's it going? Oh, it'll be a sellout when we get the spell from the midway. Uh, it'll be a sellout for tonight, too, if this weather holds up. Say, uh... Jim, uh, drop by the office wagon after the show. I want to talk about something. Uh, Jason says one of his guns has disappeared. Oh, the lion tamer. Mm. That's bad. It's bad business having a gun around loose in a circus lot. Yes, and I'm not going to put up with it. The first rule I ever made was that only wild animal trainers could carry guns. I've got to find that missing gun, and whoever's got it will hear plenty from me. Does Jason suspect anyone? No, but I do. He and Lorenz have been pretty friendly lately. Oh, you mean that knife thrower? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't trust him any farther than I could throw an elephant. That's right. But you'll have to admit Lorenz is a big attraction. A big attraction to the audience, maybe, but a lot of grief for us. Yeah. Well, thank heavens I've got a right-hand man I can trust. Oh, thanks, boss. You can count me until the last blowdown, and don't you forget it. Thanks, Jim. Uh, say, boss, there's a kid looking for you. Oh, well, what does the boy want? I don't know, but he's been hanging around since before lunch. He's got some kind of a letter for you. Oh, where is he? Well, there he is, boss, over there by Larry. See him? Oh, yes. Guess, All right, thanks. Folks, a mere guest. Come, gentlemen, under which shell is a little black pea. Money never grows in your pockets. You Hello, know. young man. Looking for me? Sorry, but we're not taking on any new hands. Gee, so you're Mr. Randall. Hmm. I'd have known you anywhere. Dad sure described you. Oh, I forgot. I got a letter for you. Let's see. Oh, here it is. Oh, uh, just a minute, son. Well, not Tim Dugan's boy. Well, sure enough. <laughs> You've got your dad's grin all over your little freckled face. Well, well, well. <laughs> Yes, I, you know, I, I heard some time back that Tim had a boy. Let's see what's on his mind here. Uh, and uh, so, if things don't break, and I'm gone before you get here, take care of my boy. He's been brought up with horses, and the circus is in his blood. He'll tell you all about it. Well, uh, where is your dad? He's not... He... He died last week. Oh. Well, I haven't seen him for years. Tim Dugan. Great showman, your dad, and don't you ever forget it. Well, what's your name, son? Jerry. Jerry Dugan. And so you... You want to join the circus, hmm? I sure do, Mr. Randall. Well, what can you do, Jerry? 
Well, Dad thought, taught me some tumbling before he got sick, and then, of course, I, I worked a lot with horses. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And after Mother died, the doctor said Dad couldn't do much hard work, so he and I got a job taking care of some racehorses. Dad said I was a big help, too. Well, that's swell. Now, look, Jerry, we're folding here tonight, and I've got a lot of things to attend to. You run along home now and get your duds. I'll put you up somehow. You'll probably have to carry water for the horses at first, but, well, we'll see. I... I'm sorry, Mr. Randall, but I... I haven't got any things. I... Well, what? What do you mean? Well, you see, after we were rooming in a funny little place, and... Well, after... Well, I heard the landlady say she couldn't keep me any longer. You see... Dad already owed her more in a week's rent. Mm, nice woman, huh? He said something to a neighbor about a, an orphan asylum. Well, well, Rags and me, we lit out that night, and we'd just been hiding daytime, waiting for the circus to come to town. Oh. Well, uh, this dog here isn't Rags by any chance. Yeah. Isn't he a beauty? <laughs> He's pure Airedale and cheap dog, and Dad said something about a police dog. <laughs> Shouldn't wonder if your dad was right. He's awful smart. <laughs> Kind of little for having such big ancestors, don't you think? Come to think of it, Dad did say something about poodle blood. <laughs> That's why he's so quick at tricks. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm not so sure I can put up the dog, but come on now, I want you to meet Bumps. I... Oh, well, I I guess I can't go after all. Hmm? Golly, I... Mm, well, now what? <laughs> well, you see, me and Rags, well, well we've sort of been taking care of each other, and I guess we still... <laughs> well, all right, come on. We'll take him. No boy's worthy of salt without a dog anyhow. Come along now. We'll catch Bumps while he's making up. Bumps? Who's Bumps, Mr. Randall? The greatest clown in the business. You knew your dad, too. I guess he'll be in his wagon. Oh, so that's where you sleep. In wagons, huh? No, no, but uh, some of the wagons are used for dressing rooms. We all sleep on the train. Oh. Bumps shares his dressing room with Decker and Lorenz. I guess you won't be in the way there. Decker and Lorenz? What do they do? A knife-throwing act. And a good one, too. Gee... Imagine really being with a circus. <laughs> well, here we are, Jerry. Here's Bump's makeup wagon. Hello, Bumps. Well, hello, Sam. Uh, I think you can make room for this boy. It's Tim Dugan's boy. His name's Jerry. Tim Dugan? Mm -hmm. Oh, I haven't heard of him for years. Put it here. Any son of Tim Dugan ought to be all right. <laughs> the old acrobat, how is he? He uh, died, Bumps, last week. No. Oh, <clears throat> oh. Uh, this your dog, son? Yeah. Isn't he a beauty? Oh, he's a friendly little mutt. Does he go with the boys, Sam? <laughs> I guess he does. <laughs> Isn't that funny, Jerry? I've been wishing for a dog for weeks. Have you? I sure have. Looks as if he thinks I might do, too, curling up on my feet like yeah. that. <laughs> he sure made himself at home. <laughs> well, I'm going to be tied up left the show, Bumps. Keep your eye on Jerry. Sure will, Sam. Uh, you can go and watch the show, Jerry. I'll tell the man on the gate to let you in. I'll see you later. Gee, thanks for everything, Mr. Randall. All right, then. So... So you're Tim Dugan's boy, huh? Oh, wait till I finish this Mind makeup. Mind watch? No, of course not. Gee, that's funny pink stuff. Don't you have any lips at all? No, just a thin line. 
Why do you put all that white stuff around your eyes? Oh, makes them look blank, you know, kind of sad-like. What's that lumpy nose made out of? <laughs> well, that's putty. Isn't it uncomfortable? Gee, you look funny. <laughs> Rags, down, it's all right. It's still the same fella. It's still buff. Oh, that's it, Rags. <laughs> Wag your tail, boy. You'll see plenty of makeup before you're much older. Gee, I, I don't see how you can do it so fast. Hey, listen, Jerry. When you put on one makeup for nearly 25 years, you'll be able to do it in a couple of shakes, too. Stop it. Oh, oh, hello, Lorenz. Uh, meet Jerry, a friend of mine, and, and his dog, Rag. Ah, I don't like dogs. Go on, beat it. Oh, here, wait a minute, Lorenz. Jerry and his dog are going to share the wagon with him. Uh, you think? Uh, the boss thinks. Uh, now, where did Decker put the knives? How many times do I tell him to put them in the top drawer of this prop box? Here they are, in the bottom drawer. This drawer is not for knives. Rags, come away from there. Well, it's a curious little monkey, isn't it? Too curious. What are you looking at? There's nothing for dogs to see in this drawer. Anybody else here, and that goes for you too, boy. This pop box is my private property. Get out of here, dog. Rags! Uh, don't kick him. Well, let me, eh? Rags! Hey, Lorenz, drop that knife, you fool. Don't throw that knife at my dog. I'll fix him so he won't growl. Let go my arm, you. I won't do. You put down that knife. You little fool. Don't you strike that boy, Lorenz. Oh, he bit me. That girl bit me right on the wrist, too. On my throwing Oh, now, don't get excited, Lorenz. It's just a little scratch. Scratch nothing. I fixed that dog. Oh, oh, oh there goes the opening number, Jerry. Okay. Now, go on. Go on now and see the show. Yeah, I, I'm... I mean, I feel... Bit you come back here after the show's over, Jerry. Come on, Rags. Now, listen, Lorenz. You've got to control that temper of yours. You can't be throwing knives around. Wrap that dog, tearing my wrist. He could have crippled me so I could never throw another knife. Oh, but he didn't. Just the same, I'm not going to dress in a place with a dog that will bite me every time I turn around. Mm, uh, <coughs> oh, well, golly, it's time for my act. Uh, i got to get on over to the main tent. <laughs> and don't you worry about the dog, Lorenz. You and he'll be good friends yet. <laughs> friends, nothing. We won't have time to be friends. I'll get rid of that dog before we leave this place if it's the last thing I do. Sure, uh, I made a comment. They sure want to get the mileage they can out of this music. It's like yeah, two minutes at the beginning and two minutes at the end. Well, we can talk over the end. Yeah, at I'm just end. waiting to see if there's an outro. If they're gonna say, "Stay tuned next week for more Jerry of the Circus and his little bitey dog." His little bitey dogs and the guy that likes to throw knives and hates dogs. 
I'll get that dog if it's the last thing I do. That voice sounded really familiar. Who did the, uh, the knife thrower? He's, he's, he's done a lot of all-time radio. So, I, I don't know, Suze. Uh, you're, you're, what did you think of Jerry of the Circus, episode one? Sounds like a fun adventure. Yeah? I think we're about to go on a fun adventure to the circus. Well, we'll see what our audience says, and if, if they if they want us to continue, um, yeah. And I, and honest to God, I could trim off, I could shorten each episode about two minutes, <laughs> three minutes. <laughs> Just by taking this outro out. Yeah. yeah. There's still 30 seconds left of it. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I thought the beginning of it was kind of like, hey, what's going on here? But I do like talking over this, and I do like the circus. Do, 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 do. Yeah. So. Yeah. There we go. That's. Uh, here we go. We're still in the circus. Three, two, one. Okay. That's, it. That's all you get. So yeah, hopefully everybody liked Jerry of the Circus. It doesn't seem too little kitty. See, that was part of my concern with some of the the um, uh, other shows that I've checked out and some of the episodes of, say, uh, Let's Pretend. They were just a little too little kitty. Um, yeah. Yeah. They are. <laughs> like, oh my god, it won't end. This is the song yeah. that never ends. Oh no. It goes on and on, my friend. One yeah. day we started something. Sherry Douglas, something. what have you done to the world? Yeah, um... So, was it Sherry Douglas? Lamb Chop? I don't remember. Oh, I don't know. Sherry Douglas sounds right. Yeah. Um, I made the joke Water for Elephants because there's a best-selling Oprah book that I read for a yes, book I've heard. club. And the Water for Elephants was basically about... If people would lie and say they joined the circus in the 40s or the 30s, they would say, oh, what did you do? Oh, I carried the water for the elephants. Nobody carried the water for the elephants. That's just a lie that people would make up and say they did. There was no person that did that, you know? So. Wow. Yeah. Spoilers. Spoilers. I'm not going to read it. That's not a spoiler. You're not going to read that book. Yeah, hell no, I'm not. Um, yeah. so anyway, well, I did something a little bit different for our break and we're going to have to get going to it, uh, because, uh, we have, uh, Wuthering Heights waiting ahead and, uh, I think we're going to have a, uh, we should have a drop from our good friend Kiddo. Oh, thanks to Foxfire wow. 505. Um, cool. so if you, uh, yeah, <laughs> so I'm just laughing at her a little post she uh shared in the chat room um but yeah so i did something a little different i just for the fun of it i put together a bunch of vintage commercials uh for everybody to listen to for five minutes whilst we break so go get yourself uh yeah go get yourself something to eat or drink in the commercial and yeah. uh commercials none of these are sponsors they're just fun to listen to old vintage commercials that's right so We'll be back with, what's the name of the show? Time, Time for Go to Bed. There we go. We'll be right back. When you're looking for a treat to freshen taste and keep breath sweet, get double smoothness, flavor too. Get the gum that's double good to chew. 
This is Sandy Becker saying, keep cooking with Crisco. It's all vegetable. It's digestible. Once upon a time there was an engineer. Choo-choo Charlie was his name we hear. He had an engine and he sure had fun. He used good and plenty candy to make his train run. Finest ingredients aged for flavor. That's Lucky Lager. Flavor that's entertaining, enthusiastic, a very exciting beer. Keep the refrigerator stocked with Kraft's famous cheese food, Velveeta, to spread or slice for swell toasted sandwiches. Velveeta is a natural for late evening snacks, you know, because it's digestible as milk itself. These days, you really ought to be buying rich golden Velveeta in the two-pound size, so you'll have plenty for snacks and also to melt for economical meatless main dishes. Remember, smooth-melting Velveeta helps supply the protein you expect from a main dish, but the price is low. Tomorrow, get Kraft's famous Velveeta. This program is brought to you by the makers of Popsicle, Budgicle, and Creamsicle, those delicious frozen confections on a stick. Now I have a swell surprise for you. The famous winner of the typical American boy contest has now become Popsicle Pete. And here's a message from him. Hello, everybody. I sure am glad to meet you. And boy, am I glad I was picked to be the typical American boy. Because now I'm Popsicle Pete. I always wanted to be on the radio. And now I have a chance to tell you about some wonderful presents you can get. Free. See, you ought to see them. Hundreds of them. You get them just for saving bags from Misty Popsicle, Pudgicle, and Creamsicle. Some gifts. Even better than Christmas. You can get a wristwatch, a movie camera, table tennis, a wallet, a doll. See, lots of gifts. Just save the bags from pop- Popsicle, Creamsicle, and Fudgicle on a handy stick. Boy, do they taste good. Wholesome, too. And nourishing. Made fresh every day of the finest ingredients. The biggest five cents worth anywhere. And say, kids, get the free illustrated Popsicle gift list at your ice cream store. A free coupon comes with it. Worth 10 bags. Dentists know what cleans teeth best. And over 4,000 dentists say Colgate tooth powder with a two-minute routine gets teeth sparkling and super clean. So to remove dull film and get your teeth shining clean, just brush teeth two minutes morning and night with Colgate tooth powder. Brush inside, outside, and biting surface. To keep your dog in top condition, get your pet complete nutrition. Feed them sturdy, make them sturdy, happy, friendly, happy, furry. Any dog can be a winner if he eats some sturdy dinner. Feed them sturdy, beefy sturdy, that with thank insist on sturdy. Ask any dog who's tasted it, the doggy with the bit. You sturdy dinner, dog food is delicious. Hi, Charlie. What you watching? Ballet. Oh, how is it? Too soon to tell. So far, it's been nothing but dancing. But I'll watch it anyway. To show Starkist my good taste. But, Charlie, Starkist don't want tunas with good taste. Starkist wants tunas that taste good. Hey, that's for me. 
Sorry, Charlie. Only good-tasting tuna get to be star-kissed. Good-tasting 100% prime filet. This is good-tasting tuna. Get star-kissed tuna. Note the name. Star-kissed. From San Francisco comes... Right. Rice-A-Roni, the delicious break from potatoes, now in six fabulous flavors. One pan of boiling cooking ease, the flavor that is sure to please. Right, a roaming, the San Francisco treat. Oh my gosh, so many commercials. So many. So many might. more than just cream of wheat. Thought you might get a kick out of that. I do like commercials. I've always liked them. Big fan. Yep. All right, so now we get to the serious side of the show. Yeah, this is making me want to cry. Actually. <laughs> Just kidding. No, I like it. You, you can't, can't cry on the show. Don't do it. I could. Oh, we got the kiddo it's drop. My party. I'll cry if I want to. We got the kiddo Kristen drop. Drake. Kiddo takes advantage of the fact that wheelers can't swim. <laughs> <laughs> Very oh, nice. She steals. He got a whole branch full of lunch pails. Yeah. He steals all those lunch pails. I'm totally into that. I would. Those yeah. are fun lunch pails. Those wheelers are jerks. They are. So, um, what I have done for us for the last portion of the show is uh, Lux Soap did uh, the Lux. Um, Lux Radio Theater. And uh, they would do radio adaptations of a lot of films. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'll also, you know, uh, books and things like that. And, uh, well, obviously there was a film of Wuthering Heights that came out around the same time as the radio show. But uh, I'm not sure who was in the film, but one of my favorite old-time radio actors, Basil Rathbone, also in a yeah, lot yeah. of horror films and stuff, but he was uh, famous for being the voice of uh, Sherlock Holmes, and you know, I have an sure. LP of him reading Edgar Allan Poe stories as well that I had since I was a kid that I adore. But uh, Basil Rathbone is in this, and uh, I've trimmed trimmed the fat on this to make you know I, I trimmed about ten minutes off from the well, ladies at home will love Lux soap, you know, and all yeah. that stuff uh we we don't need that so it's broken down into three parts and uh yeah um and the first one is about 20 minutes long and we should probably get on it is this why soap operas are called soap operas yeah yeah you're absolutely right yeah that's exactly exact reason um because soap, you know, that was a big sponsor for a lot of different things, you know. Use our new chemicals, ladies. Um, and, um, but yeah, so you, you said you, you, you wrote a paper on this book, so it's a, the, the, you're a big fan of the book, 
I can one would assume. Yeah, I'm a big fan of it. Definitely, I just think that. Uh... Yeah, I, my point, I think, was Kathy's, uh, Kathy's to blame. Oh, you're, 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 you're blaming people. I think so. I, I forget what my point was, but it was. It was a while ago. There's a lot of drama. There's a yeah. lot of drama. There's Edgar Linton and there's, uh, Kathy and then Heathcliff. Garfield. And... No, Heathcliff. Yeah. <laughs> That's where they get the cartoon cat's name from this character. Heathcliff is a... Uh, uh, Speaking of cartoon cats, get out of there! Her adopted brother. I mean, Kathy's adopted brother, really. Oh, okay. Well... And he, he's a gypsy kid that uh, her father brings home from his travels. As a kind of souvenir, which I, I don't... You know, yeah, this is pre-Victorian yeah. times. You just pick up a kid... Pretty That's weird. Not cool. So, so yeah, this is a gothic influence novel. Um, yeah. Obviously, this it's going to be very highly abridged. Um, and uh, oh yeah, and and uh, Foxfire says I have that Basil Rathbone reads Poe album. So there we go. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, so Lux Radio That's Theater, obviously, fun. they they did they did like the Wizard of Oz film with a lot of the original cast members and stuff, and they do a very reduced version of what the original films were. So yeah. you know, expect a lot of condensing, and um, and uh, yeah. So are you ready for Act One of Wuthering Heights? Ready. I'm excited. All right. Yeah. Let's hear it again. It's been a while. Now we present the story of Wuthering Heights, a story written a century ago but as modern as tonight's newspaper. The curtain rises on the first act, starring Ida Lupino as Kathy and Basil Rathbone as Heathcliff. <laughs> Desolate and lonely are the rolling moorlands of England. Where in the winter night the snowdrifts loom like giant specters in the teeth of screaming gales. About 100 years ago, a stranger lost his way on such a night. Freezing, blinded, and stumbling, he saw at last the fitful lights of an old manor house, aged and crumbling on the hillside. He knocked desperately at the door. It was opened by a doddering old butler who stood staring at him. Then, without a word, he led the stranger into the musty old living room. There, in the dim candlelight, a man and two women sat without moving. The man was tall and dark-skinned like a gypsy. On his face, the stamp of years of bitter suffering. At his feet, a dog growled ominously. At last, the man turned and spoke. Who are you? What do you want? My name's Locke. I've lost my way on the moors. Down, Wolf, down. Strangers have no business on the moors at this time of year, and no business here at any time. But I couldn't find the village. A man could die out there on a night like this. I'm afraid I'll have to stay until morning. Do as you please. I beg your pardon. I don't keep accommodations for visitors. You'll have to sleep with one of the servants. Heathcliff, you can't. He's our guest. Then suppose you attend to his comfort. Ellen, show the gentleman to... To the guest room, please. The guest room, mistress? Yes. 
There's no other place. Yes, mistress. This way, sir. I unlock the door. Of course. Mind you don't stumble on the carpet. It's about falling to pieces, I'm afraid. You call this the guest chamber? It was, once. It's a trifle depressing. May I light a fire? No fire will burn in that grate, sir. The chimney's been clogged for years. Hmm. Must have been a fine old house once. What's it called? This is Wuthering Heights, sir. And the tall chap downstairs with the piercing eyes. That'll be Master Heathcliff, sir. And the once lovely lady who looked at him with fear. That's his wife, Mistress Isabella. Well, good night, sir. And if you want anything, there's the bell rope. My name is Ellen. Thank you, Ellen. Good night. Good Lord. The window. The catch broke in the wind, sir. Stand back. I'll close it. shouting she's lost on the moor. What's going on here? A voice out there, a woman crying that she's lost. Then she's come. She's come again at last. Kathy, wait for me. Wait for me. He's not going out there in that storm. I'm coming, I'm coming, Kathy. This is insane. Come back. Kathy, Kathy. Close the window, sir. But that man out there. Close the window. Am I mad? Why did he go out there? What was that voice? You heard him call her name. It was Kathy. Kathy? Who's she? Kathy is a girl who died. I don't believe in ghosts, if that's what you mean. I don't believe in phantoms sobbing in the night. You don't believe. Well, perhaps if I told you her story, you would change your mind about the dead returning. Tell me her story. It all began the time I came to Wuthering Heights as a servant. That was 50 years ago in 1790. The place was different then. A sweet, well-kept estate. Mr. Earnshaw was master. A fine man who dearly loved his two children, Cathy and Hindley. One day, Mr. Earnshaw returned from Liverpool with a foundling boy he had picked up. A dark, savage-looking gypsy lad with the most dreadful marks of beatings on his back. Mr. Earnshaw called for me the moment he arrived. Give him a good scrubbing, Ellen, and put some of Hindley's clothes on him. Yes, sir. Come with me, lad. Don't touch me. Let me alone. Goodness. <laughs> now, son, Ellen won't hurt you. You're safe here. No one will ever beat you again, and you'll always have plenty to eat. Well, Get out of my way. Well, Hello, Father. Hindley and Carthy. Papa, who is that boy? Yes. Who is he, Father? Children, our little guest will pay us a visit for a time, as long as he wants a home here. He's dirty. Look at him. Carthy, oh, don't make me ashamed of you. 
Finley, he'll sleep in your room. In my room? I won't let him. He's a dirty gypsy. That will do, Henley. You must learn to share things. Take charge of the boy, Ellen. And what will his name be, Mr. Runshaw? His name? I think we'll call him Heathcliff. Yes, sir. Come, Heathcliff. That dark, brooding boy, who never before had known kindness, brought a subtle change to life at Wuthering Heights. The three children seemed to play well enough together, going scamping off over the moors on their ponies and climbing the crags together. But neither Cathay nor Hindley were open and frank anymore. And one day the children fought openly. Your father gave me this pony. It's mine. Give me that pony, do you hear? Or I'll tell father you boasted you'd turn us out when he died. That's a lie. I never said that. Of course he didn't. He did. He worms his way into everything Father does for us. He'll cheat us out of everything. You never had a father, you gypsy beggar. You'll never get mine. Hensley, don't hit him. No, don't, don't. Hensley, look out, he has a stone. There. Fancy that'll teach you. Hensley, he's bleeding. Serves him right. Gypsy scum. Hensley, are you hurt? Please, please, With that stone. Please, Hensley. Don't look like that. Why don't you ever cry when you're hurt? Like other people. Why should I cry? I'll pay him back someday. I don't care how long I wait. If I can only pay him back. Heathcliff, don't say those things. Come, Heathcliff. Now Henry's gone. We can have a game at the castle again. I, I don't feel like playing at the castle. Please. You always smile and laugh when we're there. Come on, Heathcliff. We'll play our game. Don't frown so, Heathcliff. Sit here beside me on the stone, and we'll look out over the moors. This is our castle. Castle? Just Tennyson Crag, and you know it. It's not either. This is your castle, and you're a prince in disguise. Tell me about it again. It's all true. Cross my heart. Your father was Emperor of China, and your mother a Queen of India. You were kidnapped by wicked sailors and brought to England. Don't make fun of me, Kathy. I'm not making fun of you. You're really and truly Prince, and I'm your slave. No. You're my Queen, Kathy. And you'll always be my Queen. I won't let anyone else make it his Queen, do you hear? And that's the way they grew up, wild and free, roaming the moors together. But Hindley grew more and more jealous. Cathy was 18 and Hindley past 21 when Mr. Earnshaw died. Good man, he never saw the evil of life and had raised Heathcliff like his own son. But on the very day of his funeral... You're not going into that room to look at my father's body. Why? He loved me more than he did you. He's past your wheedling now. I'm master of Wuthering Heights. If you want to stay here, we'd need for a stable boy. A stable boy? That's all. Get out. And that's what he became. Heathcliff, who had lived under this roof as one of the family, was a 
table boy. Well, give me a hand up to my saddle. Very well. Sir, you gypsy beggar. How many times must I tell you? Sir, that's better. By the time I come back in the morning, I want these stables scrubbed. Scrubbed, you understand? If they're not, I'll fresh or my arm drops. Heathcliff. Yes, Cathy? Heathcliff, I heard him. How much longer are you going to stand this? I don't know what you mean. Look at you. Dirty and unkempt and in rags. Why aren't you a man? Why don't you run away? Run away? From you? You could come back rich and take me with you. Oh, why aren't you a prince like we said long ago? Why can't you rescue me, Heathcliff? Cathy, come away with me now. Now? But where? Anywhere. You mean leave as we are? Live in haystacks? Steal our food? Oh, no, Heathcliff. No, that isn't what I want. You just want me to go off alone. Well, that won't do. I've stayed here since your father died, been beaten and cursed like a dog, abused and driven mad, just because I could be near you. And like a dog, I'll stay to the end. To the end! Yes, Heathcliff did run away. The curses and insults were too much even for his great love. And so he disappeared. Cathay found a new world in her first introduction at Linton Manor with Edgar Linton and his sister Isabella, both Cathay's age. Music and laughter were there, shining eyes and dancing, and it was escape from Wuthering Heights. Edgar Linton fell madly in love with Cathay, and they were constantly together. And then, I remember so well. One evening, Edgar brought Cathay home in the pony cart. As quickly as I could, I tried to warn her. My hand down from the cart, Miss Cathy. Phone. Oh. oh, Ellen, we had the most marvelous time. Judge Linton had guests from Liverpool. Cathy, come here. Excuse me, Edgar. There's something wrong in us. He's quick, Cathy. He's quick. When did he come last night? He talks so strangely. Here he is now. Hello, Cathy. Heathcliff. Heathcliff, you said you'd stay away. Why were you gone so long? I didn't expect to find you here. Why were you gone so long? Because I'd met the Lintons. Because I was at their house. Because I'd learned to dance and had a wonderful, delightful, fascinating time. Are you the table boy? Would you mind putting my horse up for an hour? Yes. And you might wash your hands and comb your hair, Heathcliff. So I needn't be ashamed of you before a guest. And look after Mr. Linton's horse, please. Let him look after his own horse. Person, fellow, how can your brother allow such a beast of a gypsy stable boy to act like this? Beast of a gypsy stable boy? Of course. A roadside beggar giving himself airs of equality. What do you know about Heathcliff? Judging from this performance, all I need to know. He was my friend long before you. That blackguard? Blackguard and all, he belongs under our roof. And you speak well of him or get out. Kathy, are you out of your senses? Get out, I said. Or stop calling those I love names. Those you love? That stable boy? Yes. Kathy, what possesses you? Do you realize what you're saying? I'm saying I hate you. I hate the look of that milk-white face. I hate the touch of your soft, foolish hands. Some of that gypsy's evil soul has gotten into you, I think. Yes. Some of that beggar's dirt is on you. Yes, yes. Now get out. Get out, get out. Kathy. 
Kathy, please. Come back. Miss Kathy. Ellen. Ellen, where is he? Where is he, Cliff? Tell me. He's across the moors. Towards Pennison Crag. Oh, he's Cliff. He's Cliff. He's Cliff. You've forgiven me. Oh, say you've forgiven me. It was not your heart that spoke, Kathy. No, my darling. Because my heart is yours. Kathy. The clouds are lowering over Gimmerton Head. Yes. Oh, Heathcliff. See how the light is changing. Kathy. You are such a part of all this. Perhaps we belong to the Moors, you and I. Oh, Heathcliff. Make the world stop right here. Make everything stop and stand still and... Never, never move again. The moors never change. You and I never change. The moors and I will never change. Don't you, Kathy? I can't. No matter what I say or do, this is I. Forever. Kathy. Oh, smell the heather, Heathcliff. Fill my arms with heather. All they can hold. You're not thinking of that other world now. Don't talk, darling. Don't talk. All this might disappear. Ellen, Ellen, hurry, please. My hair's not nearly fixed yet. Well, what is the matter? Supposing you're not ready when your Mr. Linton gets here. Any young man who comes sniveling back after the way you treated him... But Ellen, I sent my apologies to him, didn't I? Of course he'll come. Kathy, I can't believe this change in you. Why, just yesterday it seemed you were a stupid harem-scarem child with dirty hands and a willful heart. Oh, that's my other nature, Ellen. I still have it. It used to fly around wild. But now I can coax it into a cage whenever I want to. Heathcliff. Since when are you in the habit of entering my room... I want to talk to you. Get out, Ellen. I will not. I take orders from Miss... Now that we're so happily alone, may I know to what I owe this great honor? He's coming here again. Who? You know who I mean. That stupid fop, Linton. You're unbearable. Utterly unbearable. Why are you dressed in silk? Because gentlefolk dress for dinner. Why are you trying to win his puling flattery? I'm not a child anymore. You can't talk to me that way. I'm not talking to a child. I'm talking to Kathy. My Kathy. Oh. I'm your Kathy. Yes. And I'm to take orders from you. A dirty stable boy. Allow you to select what dresses I shall wear. And bow humbly to your horrible, wretched temper. Kathy. Where is your heart? You had your chance to be something else. You left here once. Well, why didn't you stay away? Now let me alone. That's right. The dirty stable boy can't come near you lest he soil your dress. But who soils your heart? Who turns you into a cheap, vain, ambitious fool Linton does? You let yourself be loved by him because you want to be a fine lady. Because it pleases your stupid, greedy vanity. Stop it. Thief or beggar is all you were born to be. Kneeling beside the road, begging for favors. Not earning them, but whimpering for them with dirty hands. So that's all I am to you now. A pair of dirty hands. Well, have them there. <gasps> have them where they belong. How dare you? How dare you? No. It doesn't help to strike you.
Kathy out of my kitchen. Is Kathy still with, with him? Yes, she is. What is the matter with you? What are you staring at? I want to crawl to her feet. Whimper to be forgiven for loving her. For needing her more than my own life. For belonging to her more than my own soul. I want to beg for a smile. I don't care if she loves Minton or whom she loves. If she'll only look at me, say my name. Oh, Heathcliff, you... Ellen, Ellen, she's coming now. Get out, Heathcliff. I'll wait outside the door. No, you can't. I want to be where, where I can see her, hear her. Oh, Heathcliff. Ellen, where are you? Oh, here you are. Yes, Miss Cathy. Has, has Mr. Minton gone? He just left. Oh, Ellen. Ellen, I've some wonderful news for you. Kitchen's no place for that. Come inside. No, no, Ellen, listen. Edgar has asked me to marry him. And what did you say? I'm to give him my answer tomorrow. Cassie, do you love him? Of course. Why? Well, that's a silly question. Because he's handsome and pleasant to be with. Not and... enough. Well, then, because he'll be rich someday. And I'll be the finest lady in the county. Oh, it'd be heaven to escape from here, Ellen. And what about Heathcliff? Oh... Heathcliff. Ellen, he gets worse every day. It would degrade me to marry him. I wish he'd never come back. Ellen, what was that? I think... Oh, nothing. The wind, perhaps. Oh, well, my darling. If Master Edgar and his beautiful home mean heaven to you, you'd better enter that heaven and take your place among the Linton angels. The only thing is, Ellen... I wonder if I belong in heaven. I dreamed once I was there. And I broke my heart with weeping to come back to earth. To the bleak moors. The angels were so angry they flung me back. And I awoke. Sobbing with joy. On top of Wuthering Heights. Oh, Ellen. I suppose I've really no more business marrying Edgar Linton than I'd have in heaven. But Ellen, Ellen, what can I do? You're thinking of Heathcliff. Who else? He's sunk so low. He seems to take pleasure in being mean and brutal. And yet, he's more myself than I am. Whatever our souls are made of, his and mine are the same. Everything he's suffered... I've suffered. The little happiness he's known. I've known too. Everything else in the world died. And only Heathcliff remains. Life would still be full for me. Who was that? Ellen. Ellen, I heard... Miss Cathy. Miss Cathy. Yes, Joseph. Heathcliff's taken Master Hindley's best horse. He's gone. Gone? Ellen... Ellen, did he hear what I said? Yes, Miss Cathy. How much did he hear? I'm not sure, but I think to where you said it would degrade you to marry him. Oh, no. No. Heathcliff! Heathcliff, come back! Come back! go there's uh the end of act one of wuthering heights from lux radio theater what'd you think so far Suze, of the adaptation 
Wow, they are whipping through that. They yeah. are whipping through that. Yeah. I don't sure know. Are. You guys, you guys can follow all this because uh, it's a little dramatic. It is. But uh, it is dramatic. Yeah. Heathcliff needs to chill out a little bit. Show a, a gentler be. size. Shouldn't be beating on a woman. Himself. That's for sure. Yeah. She, she's just like, he's no damn good. He's too passionate. He's too crazy. He doesn't... He's dirty. He's too wackadoodle. He doesn't use underarm deodorant. That nope, he doesn't. So He's just a dirty, dirty man. Mm, I don't know. What it's, a it's, man. It's just, there's a... Yeah. It's it's the big it's it's kind of a big debate of are people which what people are better. He's a passionate individual. Uh yeah. She thinks so. Edgar is a better person. Yeah. So. Yeah. Even though Heathcliff loves her, so it's it's confusing. But he's she's kind of like yeah he's he's a bad person. And she should know, but at the same time, it's very, it's very odd. Yeah. So. Yeah. If yeah, Foxfire is saying, if I hadn't read the book, I wouldn't know what the hell is going on. Yeah, it's a little bit too quick, but at the same yeah. time, I like it. It's a good story. Oh, we're all colored up. Yep, that's why colored I was so up. quiet in the chat room in the first, uh, yeah. first one. Uh, that this one was a real treat to color. Thank you, uh, Foxfire five hundred five uh, for submitting uh show art for us once again your format is so easy for me to work with and uh i just add some extra space to the top or the bottom and put in a title and add the colors and and we're off to the the races with the wheelers and kiddo (laughs) yeah so uh, this one was a lot of fun so and gave me an excuse to use some more purple in it tonight too just for fun so, um, well, before uh, we're going to be pushing it for time because the next two segments are, um, well, they are, uh, I think, roughly 15 minutes apiece. So we should uh, get to uh, Act Two of Wuthering Heights. All right. Let's do it. Speed Here Round, Lux Radio Theater. <laughs> Try and follow along. Act Two of Wuthering Heights, starring Ida Lupino as Cathy. And Basil Rathbone has Heathcliff. <laughs> On that stormy winter night a century ago, the traveler Lockwood sat in the musty guest room at Wuthering Heights, listening to the story told him by the old servant, Ellen. Outside, the wind swept over the moors taking the ancient house to its foundations. The lamp on the mantelpiece flickered, casting eerie shadows. Night that Heathcliff went away, Cathy ran far across the moors after him in the bitter cold, calling his name into the wind. Hours later in the morning, Edgar Linton found her half frozen in her silken party dress unconscious on the crag the children used to call the castle. For weeks after she was ill, the Lintons took her to their manor house, and I was glad. For Master Hindley had grown unbearable with his drinking. 
The Linton home was heaven compared to Wuthering Heights. And so, day by day, the strange influence that Heathcliff had had upon Cathay wore off. And she was happy with Edgar. Why can't you remain here forever, Cathy? Oh, Edgar. You and your sister. You've been too kind to me already. If I can make you happy by just being kind, that should be enough for me. After all, what else can I give you? What else? But you've given me a great deal else, Edgar. You've given me your own self. Your strength. My strength? You'd understand if you really knew what my life was before. It was like the moors. Endless and desolate. And I was lost in them. Calling for... Calling for someone in the darkness to save me. And nobody answered. I couldn't see even the trace of a path. I was so frightened. So terribly alone. Then suddenly, you were there. You held out your hand and led me back to a way of living I thought I'd lost forever. What you said long ago is true. There was a curse on me. It kept me from being myself. Or at least what I wanted to be. It kept me from... Well... From living in heaven. There. Do you understand now? Kathy. Oh, my darling. Let me take care of you forever. Let me guard you and, and love you. Always. Would you? Would you love me? Always? Always, Kathy. Then let's be married, Edgar. Oh, quickly. Quickly. What to call it after she became its mistress? The only one who did not seem completely happy was Edgar's sister, Isabella. A year or two after the marriage, the three of them sat in the drawing room. Edgar reading, Isabella playing the spinet, Cathy quietly doing petty point when the door knocker sounded. And when I saw who it was, I went back into the drawing room. Yes, Ellen? What's the matter? Cathy. Heathcliff has come back. I'm not at home, Ellen. Not at home, darling? To whom? It's, it's Heathcliff. Heathcliff? Well, does he seem the same, Ellen? No, sir. I hardly recognized him. Fine clothes. He seems quite the gentleman. Don't prattle, Ellen. I said I didn't wish to see him. Nonsense, Kathy. It's been a long time. Bygones must be bygones. Yes, let us see some kind of caller. Uh, show him in, Ellen. Yes, sir. Edgar, this is a mistake. Kathy, your hands are trembling. Are they? The past is dead, dear. Don't hesitate to smile and be nice to him. Because I'll understand it's my wife who loves me. To smile. Oh, thank you, Edgar. You always understand. Mr. Heathcliff. Come in. Hello, Kathy. How are you, Heathcliff? Uh, have you met my sister, Isabella? Oh, I'm sorry. How do you do, Miss Linton? We are glad to see a guest. Sir? Thank you. Well, Heathcliff, I must say, I've never seen such a complete change in a man. You seem to have prospered. <laughs> I must have gone to America. I did. We wondered where you went. <laughs> you must have found at least a gold mine. No. 
I merely remembered that my father was Emperor of China and my mother a Queen of India. I beg your pardon. So I claimed my inheritance. Kathy will understand. It's an old joke between us. I see. Are staying long in the neighborhood? I'm staying the rest of my life. Really? I have just bought the horses, the cattle and the moors belonging to the estate known as Wuthering Heights. Oh, no. You mean Kathy's brother Henley sold out? Yes, but he doesn't know it yet. I imagine it will be a shock when Henley discovers his gambling and liquor debts were paid up for him by his former stable boy. Heathcliff. Heathcliff, you can't have done that. That's as underhanded a piece of work as I've ever heard of. If I'd known Henley was in such financial straits, that his holdings were being stolen by a stranger... May I remind you, Mr. Edgar Linton, that I'm not a stranger? I am merely a neighbor. Now I'll say good night. Wait, Heathcliff. Well? I want you to know that we sometimes have friends who come here as guests. Edgar and I. You're welcome to come too. But not with the old scowl on your face. Or the old bitterness in your heart. Thank you, my old friend, Kathy, for the warning. Oh, I just remembered I forgot to congratulate you on your marriage. I've often thought about it, I assure you. May I now express my delight? Good night. Edgar, I think you behaved abominably. What? And you too, Kathy. What in thunder do you mean? You could at least have been civil. You dismissed him as if he'd been a... A servant. Do you consider him anything else? Oh, I find he's grown fascinating and distinguished. Really, Isabella? I hope I misunderstand. Well, you don't. We see all too few people. And I, for one, shan't be rude if he ever calls again. Oh, Edgar. I greatly dread what the future will bring. Nonsense, darling. I tell you, the past is dead. That's all, Joseph. I'll occupy the master bedroom. Yes, sir. You will stay on, of course. Thank you, sir. Uh, shall I pack Master Hindley's things? No. Just move them out of the master's bedroom. He will remain under this roof. Master Hindley, sir? Yes. He gave me a roof once when I needed it. I take it he's drinking a great deal. Yes, sir. Though Dr. Kenneth has ordered him not to. Give him all the drink he wants. Uh, yes. Oh, a lady's waiting to see you, sir. A lady? From Linton Manor. Oh, why didn't you tell me? In future, announce visitors at once. Oh. Miss Linton. Are you disappointed, sir? Not at all. I was passing by and my horse went lame. I see. I... I just want to tell you that I'm furious with my brother and with Kathy. They received you most shamefully last night. Your brother didn't send you with this apology, eh? Oh, no. In fact, he's forbidden me to... Forbidden you to, um, to speak to me? Yes. And Kathy also forbade you? Yes. Then in all the moorland, you're my only friend? I... I would like to be. Thank you. Miss Linton... I enjoy frankness. You didn't come here to apologize, and your horse didn't go lame. Why? You came here because you're lonely. 
Because the house you live in is too happily wedded for an outsider. Because it's no joy to ride the moors alone. Isn't that right? Yes. Then you needn't be lonely anymore, my dear. Oh. You think it's strange that I should kiss you? I... I don't know. You hated it? No. I see you like frankness, too. same strange power that Heathcliff had held over Cathy. He seemed to hold over Isabella, too. Against her brother's wishes, she came often to Wuthering Heights, and she was seen many times with Heathcliff riding across the moor. Then one night, there was a party at Linton Manor. Heathcliff had not been invited, but he came as Isabella's guest. He danced every dance with her, but his looks were all for Cathay. Dark, brooding looks. Until the guests grew uncomfortable and left before the evening had well begun. Later that night, Cathay went to Isabella's room. Isabella, may I come in? If you wish. You getting ready for bed? Yes. Wasn't it a lovely dance tonight? Though I think you could have been more gracious to my guest. Isabella, may I speak to you for a moment? Well? You behaved disgracefully. In what way, may I ask? It was bad enough asking Heathcliff here without consulting us or preparing us. You'd have forbidden me. But to make a spectacle of yourself. To throw yourself at him the way you did. Nobody else would pay attention to him. You refused to dance with him. I had to dance. Every dance as a result. Oh, you fool. You vain little fool. Really, Cassie? I'm going to open your eyes, Isabella. He's using you. Using you to be near me, to smile at me behind your back, to stare at me until our guests fear his murderous gypsy look, to try to rouse something in my heart that's dead. Well, I shan't let you help him any longer. So that's what you mean. <laughs> it's you who are vain and foolish, Kathy. He's kissed in love with me. It's a lie. It's not a lie. He told me so. He's kissed me. He's... Yes, kissed me. Held me in his arms. Told me he loves me. Isabella. I'm going to your brother. Yes, go to Edgar. Tell him Heathcliff's asked me to marry him. And that I said yes. You hear? Yes. Isabella, you can't. He's not a man. He's something horrible and dark to live with. I know why you say such things. Because you love him. How dare you say you that? You do love him. You're mad with pain and jealousy at the thought of my marrying him. Because you want him to pine for you. Dream of you. Die for you. While you're safe as the lovely Mrs. Edgar Linton. You won't have him happy. You want to hurt him. Destroy him. But I want to make him happy. And I will. I will. Sit down, Kathy. I won't say I'm not surprised to see you. Does Edgar know? I doubt if he'd approve. Heathcliff, is it true? Is what true? Did you ask Isabella to marry you? Did you? <laughs> oh, Heathcliff, you mustn't do this villainous thing. She's never harmed you. No, but you have harmed me. Then punish me. That's what I intend to do. I don't understand. Every moment I hold her in my arms, when I kiss her, when I promise her life and happiness, you'll be punished. You'd marry her? To do that? Yes, to teach you the ways of pain and the hell I'm in. Heathcliff, this is worse than I thought. If there's anything human left in you... 
Don't make me a partner to this crime. It's mad and stupid. If your heart were only stronger than your dull care for the world and its conventions, I'd live silent and content in your shadow, begging for an occasional word or thought as I used to do. But no, you had to destroy me with that weakness you call virtue. You had to keep me tormented with that cruelty you think so pious. How have I been cruel? You wished to be known as the finest lady in the county. You wanted your luxury and your light. At the same time, you wanted to keep me your despairing lover. Now that I'm returned, had you given me the smile of love, I might have been content. Well, now you needn't think of me as your despairing and foolish lover. You can think of me as Isabella's husband and be glad for my happiness, as I am glad for yours. modulated uh <laughs> all that music and applause got a little uh beefy and fuzzed up revenge you won't pay attention to me i'll marry your sister-in-law what dun 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 that's insane dun 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 welcome to the family romance guys <laughs> it's kind of messed up man it's a little messed up i've read a lot of family romances over the years Mm -hmm. I love them, but you know, there's a. Uh, this is one of them. It's it's yeah. uh, it's very strange. It it, it has um, you know I I have a feeling that this book probably was a huge inspiration to a lot of television and film writers because oh, yeah. the I mean this is like so soap operatic. Yes. Um, you know it's uh, yeah it's like. You won't have me, then I'll marry your sister. You know, whatever. You know. Uh, so, so yeah, it, it's just yeah. that, you know, it's just that crazy, you know, very kind of incestuous uh, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. cast members, as it were, or, or, you know, characters. So. Yeah. But it's, you know, when you think about it, it's like, it's kind of what dating it. It's kind of the one of the first. It's not like, I mean, I, what was the year of publication? We're talking about 1850 or before then? 1847, I think, is when this is yeah, published. Yeah, so this is before the Civil War, and um, this is written in England. And uh, yeah. the, the Moors, I thought, were Scottish Moors, but they're saying English Moors. Yeah. Okay, fine, whatever. West but, Yorkshire. Um, West Yorkshire. I'm not sure where that is, but hey. East of um, it's it's west of East Yorkshire. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh. Um, but yeah, I uh it's it's just I think that the, the the whole debate is if I can talk about literature briefly, is Kathy saying Heathcliff drives her crazy, he's too passionate, uh she can't chill out and be her best self. Okay, I'm, I'm talking a little Oprah, but you know, I mean, mm -hmm. he's too passionate. He's too crazy. She can't raise chickens and be happy, you know, and be a lady mm -hmm. and and appreciate the finer things in life. He's, he's too. Maybe maybe he beats yeah. her. No, he doesn't beat her. He yeah. loves her. That's the thing. He loves her, but. It's not what she needs. That's the thing. And there yeah. is a quote where she says, he's changed my life forever. 
it's like water through wine when I met him. Everything changed. But I don't think it was for the better. So that's what we're disputing and debating. Is there are there different kinds of love that are no good? Yeah. Is it true? I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, as as we all know, the um, you know, some people are no good for each other, right? Well, yeah, I that's we yeah we've we've witnessed that many times. We in, have witnessed in our, that. our days together. Okay. Um, Leeds is in um, West Yorkshire. Leeds, okay. Leeds, you okay. know the Who live at Leeds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So around so, that area, but it's not considered Scotland. It's considered England. Yeah, it's England. It's England. Okay. Yup. Okay. Yup. So, yup. Yeah, that's where it is. It is. I'm I'm really good at geography. Oh, good. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Angry Kristen Wig. Uh, you're a welcome. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, we, we're going to run out of time. We only have five minutes left, so we're going to go into overtime to hear oh. the conclusion of uh, Lux Radio Theater's presentation of Wuthering Heights. So brace yourselves, everyone, for Act Three. Curtain rises on the third act of Wuthering Heights. <laughs> crumbling house on Wuthering Heights a hundred years ago. A candle burns low in the dreary guest room. There's no sound but the wind outside and the hushed voice of the old maidservant as she tells her story. It was then that Isabella Linton came into this house as a bride. Yes, Heathcliff married her out of revenge. The same revenge that made him keep Hindley here. A doddering, broken fool slowly drinking himself into the grave. Isabella learned the reason for her marriage to Heathcliff. But she was powerless to do anything. And then one day, Dr. Kenneth, an old friend, came to see her. He had come that morning from Linton Manor. I tell you, Isabella, go back where you belong, to Edgar's house. Edgar disowns me, Dr. Kenneth. Oh, I know, but he needs you now. Kathy's gravely ill. Really? Didn't you know? It's a matter of days now. Perhaps hours. She, she can't be dying. Fever. Inflammation of the lungs. This intense cold and... and something else. Something else? Yes. I'd call it the will to die. Kathy dies, I might begin to live. Isabella... Begin to live. <laughs> In this house with Heathcliff, nothing can live. No, Henley. Nothing but hate. Goodbye. So you think you'll begin to live when Cathy dies? Well, you won't. Henley, what is it? This house. I can feel the hate within it like a, a crushing weight. Of course you can. And you. He hates you even more than he does <laughs> me. It. He loathes you. Every time you kiss him, his heart breaks with rage that it's not Kathy. Isabella, why don't you do what I've been too weak to do? Kill him. Don't talk to me. Get away. Kill him. Kill him while there's still time to save your immortal soul. <laughs> well, Hendley, remarkable. Heathcliff, 
really, Hendley, the first coherent speech I've heard from you in weeks. Please, Heathcliff, please don't. I, I tried to stop him. Thank you, my dear wife. Your loyalty is touching. Your curses will come home to feed on your own heart. Every agony you've given will return. Laugh now, Heathcliff. There's no laughter in hell. Heathcliff, why do you have him here? I can't breathe with him in this house. Existence would be so much less without my boyhood friend under my roof. Oh, Heathcliff, you poison yourself with paying him back what he gave you. Send him away, and love will come to this house. Kiss me, Heathcliff. Tell me you love me. Tell me, darling. Why isn't there the smell of heather in your hair? Oh, Heathcliff, let me come near you, please. You're not black and horrible as they say. It's just you're full of pain, all twisted inside. I can make you happy, my darling. Let me, please. You'll never regret letting me try. I'll be your slave. I bring life to you, life and sunshine and freshness. Put your arms around me. Look into my eyes. Your eyes are empty, like Lincoln's. They aren't empty. If you look deeper, look at me. I'm pretty. I'm a woman. Let your heart see me just once. It's no use. Why did God give me life? What is it but hunger and pain, a naked runner and a storm of spears? Mistress Isabella, Ellen. What do you want here, Ellen? I've come from Linton Manor to speak to Mistress Isabella. And then you'll do so in front of me. Her brother is asking that she come home for a visit. So... He's lost some of his pride, has he? Well, there's none gone in this house. Please, Mrs. Isabella, he needs you. Needs her? What is this, Ellen? Why does he need her? Let go of me. Cap is ill. Yes. She's dying. Tell me the truth. Yes. She is dying. Dying? Joseph! You're not going, Heathcliff. Yes, sir. Saddle my horse at once. No, she belongs to Edgar. She belongs to me. If he's dying, let her die in his arms where she belongs. Let her die. Now who let speaks her... of hate? Get out of my way! Oh, no, no. And there was a murmur from the heights, a faraway and wild, heartbroken moan. The wings of Lucifer beat on the night. The soul of Lucifer wept all alone. Shall I read some more, darling? No, Edgar. Will you open the window? Won't it be too cold? Please. Of course, darling. Oh. Now I can smell the heather. Edgar. Isn't there a south wind? Isn't the snow almost gone? Yes. Quite gone. Edgar. Will you... You get me something. Anything you wish, my darling. Some heather. The beautiful patch near the castle. Will you get it from there, What castle, Kathy? The castle on the moors, of course. Bring me some from there, You're in a fever, dear. There is no castle on the moors. There is. There is. On the little hill beyond Wuthering Heights. You mean Penniston Crag? Yes. Yes, please go. But why do you call it a castle? Because I was a queen there once. Will you bring me the heather, darling? Yes. 
If you rest while I'm gone and sleep. You're so kind. So good. Oh, my darling. You made me the finest lady in the county. Such lovely clothes. I've, I've always adored that velvet dress most. Wasn't it a wonderful dress, Edgar? Wonderful when you wore it. And you'll wear it again soon, my Kathy. Go now, please. Get me the heather so I can have it on my pillow. Sleep, my darling. I'll be back with the flower you want. Where is she? Where's Kathy? She is not to be disturbed, sir. Master Edgar's gone to the doctor. Get out of my way! Kathy! Oh, Kathy. Heathcliff. Come here. Kathy, my life. How can I bear this? I dreamed you'd come before I died. And when you came in my dream, you scowled at me once more. Kathy. Does it hurt so much to see me die? Please, Kathy. Don't hurt me. How strong you look, Heathcliff. How many years do you think you'll live on me? After? Kathy, you're my life. My soul. Oh. oh, my darling. Don't let me go. If only I could hold you till we were both dead. Please. Please don't speak of death. Will you forget me? And be happy? When I'm in the earth? Never. Will you say, this is the grave of Captain Earnshaw? I loved her long ago and wept to lose her. But all is past. I could as soon forget you as my own life. If you die, Kathy, if you die, there will be no peace for me ever. Poor Heathcliff. I want to die. To escape. Why did you betray your heart? Kathy, you killed yourself. Shh, my darling. Hold me. Just hold me. No, I'll not comfort you. You deserve this. Oh, Heath, don't break my heart. I never broke your heart, Kathy. You broke it. My tears don't love you, Kathy. They blight and damn you. You love me. What right did you to throw away my love for that poor fancy thing you felt for him? Misery and death and all evil could never have parted us. You did that alone, Kathy. You wandered off like a greedy child to break your own heart and mine. I know. I know, Heathcliff. Forgive me. Oh, Kathy. You're wasted. Why didn't someone tell me? I forgive you for what you've done. I love you. I love my murderer. Heathcliff. 
carry me to the window. Let me look at the moors, will you? Once more. Oh, my darling. Once more. Yes. Yes. hear this before I go. May you not rest so long as I live on. I kill you. Then haunt me. Be with me always. Take any form you wish. Only don't leave me where I can't find you. I can't live without my life. I can't live without my soul. Though that was 20 years ago, I can still hear and see that wild hour with poor Heathcliff holding the dead body of his beloved and trying to tear away the veil of life and death, crying out to Cathy's soul to haunt and torment him until he died. Then the strange hand that gripped my wrist last night, the strange voice that called to me was Cathy. And Heathcliff went to follow her into the storm. It wasn't Cathy herself, but her love. Cathy's love, stronger than time, sobbing for its unlived days. Who's there? It's Dr. Kenneth. Open the door. Dr. Kenneth, what's the matter? I, I was just crossing the moor on my way home. Did you see Heathcliff? Yes, I saw him from my carriage. He was wandering through the snow. With a woman. A woman, you say? Yes, a young woman, she seemed. And as mad as himself. They were walking through the storm with their arms about each other. I shouted at them, but they didn't hear. I started toward them. I was nearly up to them when of a sudden my horse reared and plunged. And then... Then I found him alone. Lying in the snow. Heathcliff was dead. Dead? By the castle. By the penicillin crack. Yes. However, did you know?
Curtain falls on the timeless love story of Kathy and Heathcliff. And Wuthering Heights fades into the past. Yeah, so uh, that was a quite the gift marathon there, huh? <laughs> waiting it for was. Kath- waiting for Kathy to die. It, you know, uh, and uh, Livin said, "Y'all you know, were getting a little impatient there, trying to kill Kathy off." Well, too. you know, uh, well, Livin has a good I point. Mean, Livin on. had a good point. How not to abridge a story in another medium, and it, because it's like you know they abridge so, so much other stuff, but then it's like her death was like, geez, that was like the entire third act. Yeah, but it was also the death of Heathcliff's soul. Ugh. Yeah, so you don't understand. <laughs> so gothic. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um, I love it. It's yeah, so so well, that was a that was a fair fair adaptation. You would say. Uh, I mean, obviously, it glossed over a lot, but. The, you thought the production and the cast and everything was was pretty nice. Um, it was interesting. It was kind. It should have been longer. I mean, well, it's just you have to understand that it, when you read the book, you have time to contemplate these big questions. Sure. Basically, it's 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 in the style of a romance, and it's it's suspensefully giving you this piece of information yeah. or this piece of information this motivation this motivation mm. and the way it was perceived in an hour you're kind of like oh, 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 oh. i mean it's information is dispensed differently but i i think it's a great story it's one of the greatest it's a great yeah. story uh yeah and uh well uh, on that note though we've kind of we, we've gone way over we've so gone way over try not to do that yeah. again so yeah. here's our outro music. But yeah, it came from Cleveland tomorrow. Me, uh, Joe, Miles, and Michelle are uh, going to do a spotlight on the late, great Bill Paxton, who died in 2017. This is his birthday week. Yeah. Uh, I want to so, know more. So much more. Yeah. So it, it, it just seemed right, you know, uh, because we all are big fans of him. And we'll probably have yeah. a few other surprises. New robots on the way. Adam's mythical moment. New music from Kill the Hippies. Um, new musical block, I should say. And uh, some trailer picks from the library of, uh, uh, well, Michelle's mental library of movies. We'll have a trailer block of Bill Paxton trailers. So it'll be fun. So, uh, but yeah, Suze, uh, next week we'll dig up uh, another piece of uh, condensed classic literature for everybody. We'll get back yeah. into Ozma. Um, of Oz and we'll if you guys liked it we'll go back to Jerry of the Circus you want to know more about the circus I kind of do it's up to you guys maybe we can put a vote out there I don't know if how we'll, that we'll goes. try the next episode and we'll if it you know out. yeah the next one I know I already know the title of the next one and I know what that jerk's gonna try and do to his dog uh, oh no don't hurt dogs can't handle it I'll start yeah. crying like Alan Alice in Wonderland in this this meme. <laughs> yeah, and thanks, Clintzer. Right. Clintzer hung out with us tonight. We really yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, that was that, nice. So. Uh, good to see you around. You're a good friend. Um, mm-hmm. But thanks to uh, Heather, Livin, Foxfire, of course, for the great show art. And I don't know who else popped in tonight. Um, I think that might have been it. 
Yeah, Heather yeah, Clinster, Foxfire. Yeah. Living. I mean, it was a good good chat room. Yeah. Marnus. Marnus 3. Oh, and Joe. Yeah. Joe, of course. Joe. Yeah, you don't hear a My lot apologies. from Joe. And that and so, here, and that's nice. Yeah. I already, I, I just said his name for the show tomorrow, so I. Yeah, that's true. You know. I didn't it. know if he wanted yeah. us to know that he's associated with It Came From Cleveland. <laughs> as well as so many other podcasts. So, anyway, um, okay. that's it. You finish up, and well, uh, we got uh, 30 seconds. That's all. It's time for go to bed. Sleepy time. Time for go to bed. <laughs> <laughs>